Thanks so much, Chris and Lisa. Good morning, church family. How's everybody doing this morning? <clears throat> I got a question for you. When's the last time you played a good game of hide and seek? Hands up. Have you played hide and seek in the last 30 days? All right. Hands up if you played hide and seek in the last 30 years, if you played hide and seek. All right, so all of us are familiar with the game. Um, one person is it, and they start counting to a predetermined uh, number, and then a bunch of people go and hide, and then when the person um, reaches the aforementioned predetermined number, then they go and they find the person. Now, have you ever had this happen to you? that you find like the best spot. You're in the laundry hamper or something like that. No one is gonna look where you are. It's kind of smelly, it's a little tight, surprisingly moist, you're not sure what's going on, but no one's gonna look in the laundry hamper. And then the person who's it catches your friend or your brother or sister. But the person who just got caught saw you go into the laundry hamper. And you can hear them talking to the person that's it. And you hear it. It's almost like in slow motion. She is hiding there. Now, what kind of feelings do you have at that moment? You knew you were going to win the game. You knew that you had the best spot. No one is going to look there. And yet, your own friend your own family member gave away your hiding spot. Listen, this is what happened to David, and he was so upset about it, he wrote a song about it. He was so upset about it that he spent some time praying to God about how he felt about his hiding spot. Now, some of us are familiar with David. He's the guy that fought the giant. But do you know that there was another giant that was in David's life. And David fought Goliath just that one time, but there was this other giant. His name was Saul. And put your hand on your chest, kind of right here. He wasn't as tall as Goliath, but Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. So he was a giant himself. And he spent years and years and years chasing David, and David was hiding from him. And listen, this was not a game. And what made it even more difficult was that David was best friends with Saul's son. He was married to Saul's daughter, and he was the leader of Saul's army. Saul wasn't always his enemy. Saul used to be his friend. He used to be his father-in-law. He used to spend time at Saul's house, but then Saul got it into his mind that David was against him. So let's look at Psalm 54 together. It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. So when David wrote this psalm, he wrote it, he told the choir master, I want you to take this song, I want you to, to get the choir and the musicians all ready to perform it. He said, I want stringed instruments like a guitar or a bass or a violin. And then it says, it is a maskil. Maskil means understanding or wisdom. So this isn't just a prayer or a song that we're supposed to sing. There's a lesson that we're supposed to learn from it. Then it says, this was of David when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? The Ziphites gave up David's hiding spot. And you know what? They did it twice. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 19, 
They go and they find Saul. They travel all the way to the capital, to Saul's hometown, and they say, hey, guess what? David is hiding in our area. Then they volunteer to spy on David. So they give Saul all of this intel information. And then in 1 Samuel 26, they do the same thing again. This was not a game of hide and seek. David was hiding in order to preserve his life. And because the Ziphites acted so selfishly and so irresponsibly, David was afraid that he was going to die. And that's why we see him write in verse 1, Oh God, save me. And then in verse 2, he says, Oh God, hear my prayer. He's desperate. He doesn't know what to do. And what we're going to see from this psalm is we're going to see three things that we can do when we don't know what to do. Here's the first thing David does. He calls on the Lord. He calls on the Lord. We're so glad to have kids with us here today to help our parents remember every time I say call on the Lord, I want to do this. I want you to do this. And every time you see me do this, I want you to shout out, call on the Lord. Okay, so everyone ready? I say call on the Lord. You all do this. Then I do this and I want you to shout it. All right, so that's the first thing we do. We call on the Lord. He says, save me. Saul is chasing him in verse 1. Saul knows his hiding spot. The Ziphites are all around him, spying on him. So even if he tried to find another hiding spot, the Ziphites will find that too because they're watching David's every move. He has no hope. He doesn't know where to go, so he cries out to God. And we can take comfort in that, loved ones. When we don't know what to do, we have a God who is always listening who is always paying attention to us and can always help us. David says, save me by your name. What does it mean for God to do something by his name? I I don't do things, you know, in the name of Ted. I don't do the dishes. I'm doing this in in the name of Ted. That That means hardly anything. But you see, God's nature and his character, who he is, is all tied up in his name. One time, Moses, as he was getting to know God, and he could see the mercy and the forgiveness of God, Moses said, show me your glory. And then God, he didn't show Moses anything. It says in Exodus 34, verse 5 and 6, that he proclaimed his name. Moses wanted to see the glory of God, but God proclaimed his name. And here's what he said. He said, the Lord. That's the name Yahweh. I'm going to keep going. You guys can hear me okay? I'll just keep going. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the name of God. So when David says, save me according to your name, he's saying, save me according to your mercy, to your forgiveness, to your steadfast love, to the fact that you're slow to anger. Save me according to your faithfulness. Now, in this psalm, as you heard uh, Mrs. Lisa read it earlier on, you would notice that there's a couple of different names for God. Like in verse 1, he says, save me, O God. That's just the general name, Elohim. That could be describing the one true God or any other God that anyone else would choose to worship. Then down in verse 4, he uses the word God again. That's the word Elohim. Then he uses the word Lord in verse 4. The Lord is the upholder of my life. That's the word Adonai. That means God is, in, is the master. He's the king. He's the one who's in charge. But that down at verse 6, you can see Lord is used in all capitals. It says, I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, O Yahweh, O Jehovah. That's God's personal name that he shared with Moses. That's the name that David is praying in. Now, 
the psalm here is a song. It's a poem. Now, in our culture, songs tend to rhyme. And, and in Hebrew culture back then, songs and poems didn't rhyme. But the thing is, they always balanced with one another. And if you look at verse 1, you can see how the first thing he says, it doesn't rhyme with the next thing in English or in Hebrew, but it balances. So he says, save me, O God, by your name. Then he says, vindicate me by your might. See how they sound the same? The one balances out the other. David is not just praying that he would be saved. He's also praying that he would be vindicated. Now, vindication is not a word that we use uh, every day in elementary school, but our, our parents understand what vindication is all about. Vindication means to be proven right. And notice how David doesn't give the task of proving himself right to himself. No, he asks God to do it. You see, Saul was spreading all of these rumors. He was gossiping about David behind his back, saying that David was dangerous, that David couldn't be trusted, that David wasn't a loyal soldier, that David was going to try to destroy the country. Saul was spreading misinformation about David. Now, David did not take it upon himself to try to manage his reputation. When he had the opportunity, when he spoke to Saul, he explained to him that he wasn't doing any of that. But David didn't make it his mission to vindicate his name. He trusted God with that because he knew that only God had the power to do that. David had already tried to explain everything to Saul, but Saul wouldn't listen. Sometimes we try to do everything we can. Sometimes we try to explain things as best as we can, but people still won't listen to us or still won't trust us. And that's, when, that's a time where we just need to trust in God's power. Because I do, I have the power to communicate, to share, to express, but I don't have the power to change someone's mind, especially to change someone's heart. Only God can do that. That's what David asked for. That's a good lesson for us, especially in these crazy times where we, we often take it upon ourselves. We, we, we might feel like we're really right about a certain aspect of, of politics or about culture or about what's happening in our world. We know we're right. Listen, and we can, we can do our best to try to explain things as kindly, as gently as possible. We can follow David's example of that in 1 Samuel 24 and 26. But at the end of the day, only God has the power. Sometimes the answer is not just to work harder or to talk more, or to try to convince and vindicate yourself. Sometimes the answer is just to trust the Lord with those things. He says in verse 2, Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Again, you can hear the balance. Hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. David knows that God is listening. Notice how he, he asks God to hear the words that are coming out of his mouth. Sometimes when we think about prayer, what, 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 when we think about calling on the Lord, here I'll do the action, you can remind me of it again. Sometimes when we call on the Lord, we think that we're just supposed to do that quietly, like almost whispering to ourselves. No, David is like, no, there's words, there's actual words and sounds coming out of my mouth. Sometimes praying out loud is the best way to help us concentrate when we pray. That's what David is doing here. Then he says in verse 3, he unpacks what's going on to him. He says, for strangers have risen against me. That's the Ziphites. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. He calls the Ziphites strangers. But here's the thing. David was from a town called Bethlehem. You've probably heard of it. It's kind of a big deal at Christmas time. The Ziphites lived in the region of Ziph. 
which was less than 50 kilometers away from Bethlehem. In those days, you, you could walk there in a day. They were considered neighbors. It was like the next town over. But David calls them strangers. They were from the tribe of Judah. They should have defended David. They should have been on David's side. I mean, David could kind of understand why Saul had a problem with him, but his own tribe turned on him. And so they weren't actually strangers, but they were acting like strangers. Sometimes you might feel like that. Sometimes, I, I know for sure, just living as a Christian, I don't feel at home living in our country the same way I felt at home living in our country about 10 or 15 years ago. Sometimes I, I don't feel like what we believe as Christians is as welcomed as, and sometimes I feel like a stranger. Sometimes I feel like my neighbors are strangers. Sometimes I feel like our leaders are strangers. And I feel that in a very small way. David felt that in a very acute way. These people that were his neighbors were spying on him and betrayed him into, into Saul's hands. And here's what it says. They do not set God before themselves. Who, who were they setting before themselves instead of God? They were setting Saul. They were looking at the power that Saul had and how tall he was, and they thought, if we could get on Saul's good side, we'll have it made. And if ruining David's life means that we're somehow going to, going to have the good life, if we're going to get favor with Saul, if we mistreat David, then it all will be worth it. And loved ones, sometimes we see this happening in our own relationships, don't we? We see it happening in the playground. I know there are some kids who attend school in this area who think, you know what, I, I could do with another round of online schooling because I get so bullied and picked on at school. And what we can do as followers of Jesus Christ is make sure that we're not like the Ziphites, that we make sure that we set God before us. And sometimes we think, well, if this kid is getting picked on, and all the cool kids are picking on that kid. If I join in, maybe I'll become a cool kid. And if I join in, maybe that will guarantee that the cool kids won't pick on me. But that's not how God has called us to live. God has called us to live by truth. God has called us to look at every person in our class, every person in our neighborhood, every person online, and to recognize that they are a creature made in the image of God and need to be treated with dignity and respect. That's what it means to set God before us. That we're not just trying to please the coolest person or the most powerful person or the most influential person in the world. We are trying to please God. So when we're on social media, we're not concerned about getting likes or this person forwarded this on or retweeted that, so I need to do that as well. We're not focused on what other people think about us. We're focused on what God thinks. So the first point is this. Remind me, kids. Call on the Lord. Here comes the second point. Trust in the Lord. Here's the action for trust in the Lord. So when I say trust in the Lord, I want you to do this. And when I do this, I want you to say, all right. So take a look at verse 4. Oh, sorry. At the end of verse 3, he says, Selah. Selah means rest or lift up. It's, it's kind of like a musical term, like when the band is supposed to stop playing. And so David has this bit of a sailor. He describes the situation. He's praying to God. Then he takes a step back. And then the psalm continues in verse 4. It says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. Do you notice what happened after the sailor? David's still talking. 
But who is he talking to? Look at verses 1 to 3. He's talking to God. Oh, God, save me. Oh, God, vindicate me. But now he's saying, God is. He's talking not to God. He's talking about God. So who is he talking to? He's talking to himself. You know, if you were to walk down the street and you saw someone kind of talking to themselves, you might think that person has problems. But you know what? The truth is when you read the Psalms, when you see someone talk to themselves, yeah, they might have problems, but they're solving their problems. Because, yes, we do need to talk to God and pray, but we also need to remind ourselves about who God is. Because we live in a world that doesn't acknowledge God or respect God or honor God. And so we need to remind our because we hear all of these other messages in our world, we need to remind ourselves of who God is. And he says, though, he begins with the word behold. Now that's kind of like King James Shakespearean. We don't really say behold of that much these days. Now imagine that you're driving at night. You're coming home from like a dinner at grandma and grandpa's house. It's dark out. Your brothers and sisters are half asleep in the back seat. You're looking out the window and it's dark and suddenly you see a fireworks display out in the sky. All of a sudden. Now, what would you say at that moment? You want to get everyone's attention. Give me some examples. Just shout them out. Just let me know. What would you say? Look. Yeah, that's a good one. What else would you say? Be- no, you wouldn't say. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you wouldn't say. <laughs> You'd say something like, hey, check it out. Look. If people were asleep, you might say, wake up. Or even if they were awake, but they weren't paying attention, you'd say, wait. That's, that's the power of that word behold. It means, wake up. Hey, listen. And he's talking to himself. He's saying, hey, Dave, remember, remember this. Don't fall asleep on this. Remember who God is. He's, the up, he's your helper. He's your helper. That's the word to describe Eve's relationship to Adam in the Garden of Eden, the helper fit. That's the word. That's the name of my eldest son, Ezra. It means the Lord is my helper. God helps us. He supports us. He is with us. David says, listen, forget about the Ziphites. Forget about Saul. Do you know who's on my side? I've got God on my side. You know, there's a Paris soccer club right now that's pretty excited about having Messi on their side right now, right? They were getting plowed by, now they're like, I got Lionel Messi on my side. The the, the, the whole landscape has changed because of my teammate. How much more when we have God on our side? We've got to trust in the Lord. He says, God is my helper. Then he says, the Lord is my upholder. Again, it's balancing. Helper, upholder. That means that God sustains us. The reason we all got out of bed today is because God is upholding us. The reason why sweat is pouring out of your glands right now is because God is sustaining you. Because if sweat didn't come out, you'd overheat and we'd all die here in the parking lot. Some of you feel like, I feel like that's happening already. But be thankful that you're sweating. God, your upholder, your sustainer, is causing you to draw oxygen into your lungs. He's giving you the ability to see. He's allowing all of these things to take place. He's your helper. He's your upholder. And and also, he's your avenger. In in verse uh, 3, sorry, in verse 5, it says, He will return evil to my enemies. 
Again, David is not looking for payback. We so much in our world and so much of the way our world works right now is that, is that we're all about payback. We're all about repayment, reparations, restitution. This person must pay. Our world has lost the idea of trusting in a God who is in control. That's the only hope that we have to be able to forgive other people is to know that God will deal with them as he should according to his grace and mercy and his justice that one day the God who is our helper will also be our avenger. He will handle it. Now God works in a sort of boomerang type justice that what goes around comes around. It says that the evil will return to them. It's kind of like Wile E. Coyote trying to catch the, uh, the roadrunner. You know, he'd, he'd, order, he'd order something from Acme on Amazon and it would arrive. It's like a big anvil or something like that. And then he would put it on a tightrope or something. And he'd expect the roadrunner to come by, you know, beep, beep. And then it would, it would start running. And then somehow it would, uh, it would evade the, the anvil falling on its head. And then the Wile E. Coyote, what would happen? He'd get crushed by the anvil. We see this all over in the Bible, that judgment and, and vengeance turns on people. God has hardwired the world such that evil brings evil on yourself. God has preset the world such that evil is inherently destructive. Psalm 7 verse 15 says, the, the bad guys dig a pit and then they fall into it. That's Wiley Coyote justice. That's the way that God so often works. That's why as Christians, we can follow Romans 12, 19. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, we see this in David's life. David did not kill Saul. Right when the Ziphites betrayed David, Saul was chasing him. David had two chances to kill Saul and didn't do it. When David became king, he didn't destroy the, the, the region of Ziph. He didn't remove the Ziphites from his country. No, David trusted in the Lord. So we got call upon the Lord, and the point I just said was what? Trust in the Lord, and then here's the last one. Worship the Lord, okay? Say it out. Worship the Lord. All right. So call upon the Lord, trust in the Lord, and worship the Lord. Verse 6, David starts looking into the future. He says, with a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. David is anticipating the time where he is back at the tabernacle worshiping God. The last time he was there, he got Goliath's sword and some bread, and then he had to run off. And then a bad guy named Doeg came and killed a bunch of the priests. But David knows one day, all of this is going to be over. I'm going to be back at the tabernacle. I'm going to be worshiping God. And I'm, I'm going to give thanks to the Lord, for his name is good. Notice this. Notice that hard circumstances does not cause David to doubt the goodness of God. Even while he's hiding, even while he knows he has nowhere to turn, he is still confident that God is a good God. That's an amazing truth. And he says that God's name, that's that name that we mentioned earlier, Yahweh, his grace, his mercy, God's name is good. So he's looking into the future, but then look at verse 7 with me. It says, for he has delivered me. Now he's looking at the past. 
I mean, he's talking to God, he's talking to himself, he's talking about the future, he's talking about the past. He says, he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Now, David has had some experience like that in the past, but what's really happening is David is actually still looking in the future, but he's so confident that things are going to work out. He's so confident that if he doesn't take vengeance into his own hands, if he just trusts God to vindicate him, he knows that he'll be delivered, and he knows that he will stand in triumph over his enemies. This is like a prophetic perfect tense. He's speaking about something in the future. He's so confident that it will happen, he's describing it as though it already has. It's like he's rehearsing what he will say. When he gets back to the tabernacle, when he's done running away and hiding, he's going to say, God has delivered me, and now I look in triumph. Why could David have that confidence? Here's the reason. Because back in Bethlehem, Samuel came to David's house. And Samuel anointed him to be king over Israel. So David knew that God had made a promise to him. And he knew God's name. He knew that God was faithful. And so he could trust in that promise. He's like, Saul can't kill me because I'm going to be king. I know that God is faithful. I know that he promised something to me. And so I know that this is going to come true. And we too as Christians can get through hard times and difficult times when we look to the promises that God has made to us. The promise of eternal life. The promise that he would never leave us or forsake us. The promise that God will cause all things to come together for the good who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And loved ones, David was given another promise when he did become king. He was given a promise that one of his sons would sit on his throne forever. And the rest, of the, the rest of the Old Testament after that really is just the story of David's sons and grandsons and great-grandsons. And there were times where they were living in a Psalm 54 situation, where they had to call out to the Lord and trust in the Lord and worship the Lord. But there was one son, one great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson who was also born in Bethlehem, and his name was Jesus and if you read Psalm 54 through the lens of what Jesus went through, you see some amazing things. In verse 1, we see that Jesus trusted his father to save him and to vindicate him, rather than fighting back when he was getting arrested and crucified. We see that God, that, that, that God was faithful to Jesus, even when Jesus, his own people, betrayed him. They became strangers to him. And yet God vindicated him. We see Jesus offering a free will sacrifice. His life was a sacrifice. And we see Jesus looking in triumph over his enemies. We see it now and we're going to see it in the future. And we are so confident that that is going to happen. We can describe it as though it already has. And so loved ones, when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we can call on the Lord we can trust in the Lord, and we can worship the Lord because he is good. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we've been able to get together. We thank you, God, that you are our helper, that you are our upholder, that you are the avenger of all things wrong. Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to be more faithful in seeking your face. Lord, Pastor Chris mentioned our prayer meeting on September 2nd. There's so much that needs to be prayed for, for our teachers and our students and our politicians and our nation, Lord. 
Help us as we want to honor you and lean on you, rely on you, trust you, and worship you. God, thank you that you are with us, and because of that, that changes everything. Lord, we thank you that you are listening to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.